Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the 440 Guitar Podcast. I'm your host, Jarrell Powell. Thank you so much for tuning up. You can catch the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and anchor.fm forward slash 440. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast as well on Instagram at the 440 Guitar Podcast uh, to get updates on the episodes coming out. And then also, uh, I have a song of the day uh, for every day if you uh, follow the, the Instagram. And then I like to post some videos of some artists that just I'm really inspired by or just some really great performances and whatnot. So be sure to check that out. Uh, and, if you ha- and if you have any questions or if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always do that by uh, either emailing me at the440podcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can even leave me a message directly on the website for anchor.fm forward slash 440. You can leave me a voicemail, which is pretty cool. Uh, Ty reached, that's how uh, I got connected with Neil Santos from the Pentatonic Way. Uh, and he reached out to me via voicemail. So you're more than welcome to do that uh, as well. Uh, today, I'm very excited uh, to speak with this artist today. Uh, he is uh, releasing an album here next month, uh, but he has a, a mixed style uh between punk, rock, uh, uh, blues, uh, folk, and everything in between. Uh, really talented artist uh, for the 440 Guitar Podcast is excited to have Charlie uh, Treat on the line. Charlie, how are you? Hey, what's going on, brother? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. Uh, not too bad. I know uh, I'm in a, as far as my, my weather, it's definitely a little more, uh, it's a little more warmer compared to where you're at right now, right? <laughs> well, I'm just getting the feeling back in my fingers, so that's good. <laughs> I was out doing some carpentry today, and I couldn't feel my tools by the end of the day. Oh, man. Oh, that's some serious <laughs> weather there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've been out to the East Coast a few times, whether it be New York or Massachusetts, but I haven't been out there when I've hit the crux of, like, this is what real winter weather is like, <laughs> or this is what I, the real cold feels like. <laughs> yeah, so. true. I, I I grew up in Connecticut and spent time in New York and Boston, so 30 degrees is actually not so bad, you know? Right, right. Once you get in the negatives, then you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you can spit and it crystallizes in the air. <laughs> I've never been to that, but. Yeah, <laughs> but it gets cold. <laughs> Somebody somewhere has, and it's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, tell me about as far as just kind of how you've been during, uh, you know, this crazy world of, uh, you know, we're still, seems like we're still living in 2020 part two right. uh, for 2021. Uh, but just given the pandemic and everything, how's everything been on your end when it comes to, you know, quarantine and whatnot? Man, it's strange. You got to roll with the punches. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm starting to see the silver lining in it all, or at least I'm trying to. Um, I've been doing a lot of videos and I've been getting into my own video work. And I've been getting into a lot of like in the box sort of like pop production that I wouldn't otherwise do. And, uh, you know, Nashville's slowly opening up. There's still shows every once in a while. I mean, you go down to Broadway, you wouldn't think anything's changed at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I've been writing a lot of apocalyptic songs, to be honest. Hmm. Okay. So I, I, I've been pushing through my own way. There's no right or wrong way. I've got friends that have uh, just quit altogether. Oh, wow. And they're going to get their masters or, you know, just get a whole new career altogether. And yeah, that's their right. But I, I, man, I really respect the people that are just figuring out some way to just 
push through and be resilient, even if, you know, there's 10 people in the venue or whatever. No, no one's prepared for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So on the 440 Guitar Podcast, uh, we're really big on origin stories, how people got to where they are today. Cool. Uh, so without further ado, man, just starting off with you, you know, tell me about your uh, earliest memories of music. Earliest memories of music is the Beatles, man. So um, I had a half brother and half sister who were like 16 years older than me, you know? And so I grew up on a farm, but they would spend lots of time at the farmhouse and there was just Beatles tapes everywhere. I remember all the car rides and just like hanging out at the house. There was lots of Beatles tapes. And uh, and dad had some like Otis Redding and some Dylan laying around. So that was like, that was like the OG stuff for me. And then for whatever reason, man, even when I was like in first and second grade, I remember tuning into the oldie station, which I didn't think anything of at the time, but like looking back, like, yeah, as a really young kid, I was tuned into like the Supremes and, you know, Motown and all that stuff. Um, I didn't start playing until I was 16. My dad actually left a guitar under my pillow for my birthday. I remember I came into my room and there was a guitar there. I just picked it up and started playing. I was really into punk rock back then, like AFI and MXPX and all that stuff. Um, but pretty soon after that, there was like a Dylan phase and, you know, classic rock and also hip hop. I got into hip hop hard when I was getting into punk and just getting into music in general. So it all kind of, all kind of came together then. Let, let me ask you a little bit more as far as that time when you know, that, that guitar was under your pillow. Was that something that you, you asked for a guitar and eventually, you know, uh, you know, he, he, he was able to give it to you or was it just something that kind of came out of nowhere where it was like, Oh, like, I didn't know you wanted me to play guitar. Like were your, were your, were your parents musicians as well? No, they weren't actually. They're always like, they always laugh. They're like, where did this come from? You know, like, <laughs> like did the mailman come by type of shit, you know, <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, he had like harmonicas laying around. It was funny. Like the first time I brought the guitar home, he actually knew like House of the Rising Sun and like had this like little talent that he had never like showed us before, which was kind of funny, you know, but uh, no, I wanted it. Like I, in somewhere in high school, I went from a like serious transition to like, I want to be in the NFL to like, I want to play guitar, you know? And so he knew, and I think he supported it. But it was funny because like three years later, whatever it was, I remember he like bust. I was getting bad grades and he like bust in the room and was screaming at, screaming at me and wanting to take the guitar away. Oh, wow. <laughs> because he's like, You're not doing your homework anymore. All you do is play guitar now. <laughs> like, well, you did give it to me, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> no half measures. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then let me ask you about Bob Dylan, man. So as far as this, I find it interesting being interested in Bob Dylan at such a young age. You know, I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of folks, you know, maybe at an older age that would have more of, a, of an affinity for his music. Was there a certain song that kind of connected with you or maybe a cover of his that connected with you uh, around 17? Man, I wish I could tell you like what the first Dylan song I heard was. 
you know what? This is just coming to me now. When I was in fourth grade, I had to do this project on Minnesota. Minnesota got assigned to me, I think. And, uh, and so I had to sit there, you know, in the gym and like do my little presentation to everyone on Minnesota. And I remember Dylan's from Minnesota. So I had like this cutout of Minnesota and I was standing there and the whole time I had his greatest hits on because dad had a greatest hits tape. Mm. So, you know, 10 year old sitting there with they'll stone you when you're trying to go home, you know, <laughs> and that tape was just playing in the gym the whole time. So that music was always there, you know, but uh, it wasn't somewhere until high school that I was actually like, Oh, I dig this guy. He's not just like part of my, you know, fourth grade presentation. Yeah. Um, but man, I remember going into classes in high school and like putting a tape in and like everyone not making fun of me, but just giving me funny looks and giving me <laughs> shit about like, cause it wasn't just Dylan. I would listen to lead belly and Robert Johnson and Sunhouse And like, once I got tuned into the folk world, I wasn't really trying to bring it forward. I, I kept on digging back into the old shit and then finding out, well, who influenced that? Well, who influenced that? And before you know, I was listening to stuff from like the turn of the century at a really young age. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. What, what, what are some other artists that you feel that really inspired you? Would you say, would it be like sent the sun house and the Robert, Robert Johnson's? Um, Oh yeah. I love blues to the core. Muddy waters. I can't get enough of muddy waters. Um, Skip James is awesome. Mance Lipscomb. I listen to a lot of Mance Lipscomb. Dude's got no uh, no facial expression at all times. <laughs> all those roots musicians are so like uncharismatic in a way. They just do it all with their playing. But yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, did, did you did you did you hear through that music on the radio, or did you have a, a friend that you know had Motown and he kind of dug into it, or, or was your it was your what, yeah, how did that, that happen? I heard the, I, for some reason, I was attracted to the oldie station. And even it being like, whatever it was, like, you know, 15 years ago, it was, it was different than oldie stations are today. Like, it still had music from the 50s, you know? It had like, yeah, The Temptations and like Dion and like, it had like plenty of doo-wop. I love doo-wop. Um, so I, I was, I, it, it was Big D 103. It was 102.9. I still remember it. And uh, yeah, they're playing like, all, you know, all those pop hits from the fifties and sixties. And I was just naturally attracted to that. Like that was just what I tuned into on the radio on the way to school and stuff like that. Um, but once I got tuned into the folk world, which, which was high school, then it was all over in terms of like, well, I got to get hip to the bluegrass cats and I got to get hip to the blues guys. And I got to get hip to all the folk people and just try to, trace it back as far as I could. And I, and I do appreciate like the, the lineage and the history of it all. So it was like, it's uh it's the type of thing where it, it takes me, it takes me like a second effort to be like, Oh, well, what's actually hip today, you know? And like, like last night I was like going onto the, the billboard, uh, the billboard Spotify playlist. So, you know, I, I, I try to be well-rounded and I try to keep in touch with the pop world. And I, and I do like those songs. Like I don't have anything against it, but naturally I'm just like, 
I'm I'm exploring the American songbook, you know. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about tell me about some uh some folk musicians that connect with you. Man, Nashville was great for me because because I was hip to all the to the old stuff and like the the '60s stuff and but when I moved to Nashville, I got hip to like Guy Clark. I love Guy Clark now and uh, Towns Van Sant. Towns Van Zant. Of course, I've heard of him, but I never really like dug in until I got here. Um, Paul Simon's the best. I don't know if you consider him a folk musician or not. Um, the the newer stuff. It doesn't turn me on too much, but uh, but I got nothing against it. Like the you know the Mumford and Sons and the Abbott Brothers and stuff like that. They're great and they have great songs. It's not something I go to when I'm, you know, recreationally listening to music for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Do you recall like the uh, like one of the first moments of when you were playing like live music, like that experience? Yeah. Um, the first time I played in front of anybody, I think I was 15 or something like that. My sister got married and I wrote her a song and I sang it at the wedding. And then uh, I think when I moved to Boston, I was 18. And that's when I started like busking out on the street downtown. And that was, you know, that was my first like making a little bit of money and playing in front of people. And then slowly it became playing at bars and playing at venues and stuff like that. Wow. Nice. Nice. What do you think? It's interesting too, right? Like I, I, you know, me being a guitar player as well, like I, I find it, I find it really fascinating when the music or just being a musician, like kind of takes over when you decide, like, I want to do this like for a living, right? Cause you have like, you know, the hobbyists such as myself, you know, but then you have people that are, they're so connected with it or they just make that, that ultimate decision as far as like, no, I want to do this, do this, you know? And obviously it seems like being a musician is like one of the riskiest things to do in the world. Uh, when did that, do you remember when that conversation kind of uh, came to you as far as like, I think I want to do this like, like for, for, you know, for life or as far as for a living. Yeah, man, that, that was high school. It was like this weird transition of uh, somewhere like sophomore, junior year. You know, I was like groomed to be the starting quarterback and all this shit. And that was like my life. And, you know, when I was really little, I still love football, to mm. be honest. I, I watch football every Sunday, but I'm not like obsessed with it anymore. But yeah, when I was little, I was like, I wanted to be in the NFL. And then something happened, man. Uh, age, whatever it was, 16, 17, somewhere in there, halfway through high school, where I quit that. I started dressing different. I started probably acting different. I started, I just, my whole life changed. My grades went down. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like <laughs> these prospects I had for college went away. Um, you know, dad's screaming at you because all you're doing is playing guitar and you're not doing your homework. And <laughs> there was just like somewhere in, yeah, 16, there was just a big transition. And uh, it's partly a feeling you get. It's like, oh, this feels better than anything that I've done yet, you know? Hmm. And, but, it, but 
but I've always loved poetry and reading and writing and uh, studying people and studying the world around me. And, you know, it, it's a way to try to like mix that all together and put it down a little, uh, a little bite-sized piece, you know? Yeah. And so I was really attracted to it when I first got hip to it. And, uh, it felt really good to play and sing and, and eventually it became a calling. I mean, it got to the point where it's like, well, I have to, you know, I have to play guitar, piano every day. Like, like you have to eat, you know? Yeah. So eventually it got to the point where it was like, it was just very obvious to me, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I was, uh, I think, you know, hearing your story as far as like, you know, how you used to be into football, you know, pretty heavily, you know, and transitioning over to, you know, being a musician. First person I thought of was Sam Hunt. I don't know why, but. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> he got a, uh, he had a DUI last year for driving the wrong way down Ellington Parkway. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, hopefully I go in that direction. <laughs> so. I'm trying not to, man. I'm trying to drive on the correct side of Ellington Parkway. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me a little bit as far as like your your approach to writing. I know you mentioned a little bit as far as how you really take time to, you know, pay attention to people and 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 life experiences and implementing them. Um, what are some other things that kind of inspire you as a writer and musician, as far as, you know, write, writing, writing songs, do you write every day or is it one of those things where it really has to hit you? And then it just kind of all comes out. I try to write every day. It doesn't mean I do, but, I, but I, I, I write uh, a few times a week at least. Mm. Um, there's no one way to do it. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone were to ask me like, how should I go about this? You know, my advice would be to get out of the house or uh, go on a road trip or fall in love or do something you've never done before. Like I, I've just started to realize that like it has, it has, has much less to do with, you know, you and the pen and the page and more to do with your life experience. Hmm. The times that I've like taken a risk or done something new or, you know, even just, traveled somewhere or met someone new or whatever it is, those are the times where lightning strikes. And then that night or the next day, like you're just kind of given a song, you know? Mm, yeah. So my advice for any writer would just be to, yeah, get out of the house. Right. <laughs> yeah. Get out of the house. Continue to write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like create, create real life experiences that, that are going to translate, you know, through song. But with that said, man, I think uh, I think you really have to you have to keep reading, you know, like mm -hmm. ideally like Shakespeare and like the classics and the greats and um, have that kind of like reader's eye always turned on and read the world around you. Hmm. Um, the times that I, that I've been really good about like digging into literature man, the songs really flow and, and, uh, and I can almost write unconsciously, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, 
it affects you in a weird indirect way. That's almost like spiritual or cosmic where you're not like, you're not like doing math and carrying the one you just like happen to have this like wellspring of influence. And then when you go to do your own work, it flows through. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think just making your life rich either through experience or through literature hmm. is the best way to get to good songwriting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me about your, um, tell me about your album that you're work that you're, you know, you, that you're working on. That's going to be out very soon, you know, and, 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 and you know, and, and next month I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, 26th of March. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about it. It's called the comment, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about the, as far as, you know, the, your, your thought process of like working on the album. It was, it, it, is there a, is there, is there a connected uh, theme, like a concept album or tell me kind of your experience working on it? Well, man, this album has been a long time coming. It's been like two years now. Mm. And, uh, part of that was because we were just playing out a lot and we just didn't have time to, you know, sit down for whoever, however long it takes to make a record. Um, but I'm really proud of this, man. The first record I did when I moved to Nashville, it was all studio guys and they're great. And they're my buddies and I love the way it sounds, but it's very, uh, it's very polished. The songs are, you know, three and a half minutes and they're done. This last record, it it's more me and it's more what I do. Uh, it's more raw. There, there's some songs that are just us in a room live with no click and uh you know someone catches a lick and we just jam out for a few minutes at the end mm. and so it's it's more spontaneous and it's got that feeling to it um there was there was somewhere around 50 songs in the works for this record oh wow so so there was never a concept originally concepts emerge on their own and me and the producer have kind of joked that it's like you know the, the record is kind of taken out a life of its own and become much bigger than us at this point. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, there was, there was no concept in the beginning. I mean, I kind of got to the point where I was like, well, we got 50 songs. Let's just pick the best 12 and kind of call it a pop record, you know? <laughs> and it winded up with pop elements. If you know, maybe, maybe you might call it like seventies or eighties pop elements. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's like a Beyonce record. Um, yeah, I'm proud that it's my live guys. So my live guys, Justin and Q, they came up in church together. They've been playing together for 15 years or something like that. Oh, wow. Justin, Justin came on maybe the year after I moved to Nashville and he brought in Q. So, man, I'm lucky because a lot of songwriters, you know, they got to do hired guns and, and hired guns are good around here, but they got to, it's just different. You're seeing different people every gig and uh, yeah. you're not necessarily evolving together, but man, I've got this rock and it's this rhythm section. It's this gospel rhythm section. They've been tuned in together for, for years and years and years. And then I got Aaron Marefka on the keys and Pierce Dukes on the guitar. And they've been playing together with me for three years now. So we, we got a real band, you know, which, yeah may not sound like a big deal, but in Nashville for songwriters, it, 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 it's kind of rare. 
Um, and, and I'm proud that we did the record as a live band. You know, I could have hired studio guys and to be honest, it would have been quicker and, uh, it would have been, uh, it would have been as much of a challenge, you know, but we wouldn't have gotten these just like raw raunchy takes where we're just having fun and we jam out at the end. And I mean, we're talking gospel kind of, uh, jam JJ kale, uh, John Mayer guitar player, and then like a Jerry Lee Lewis meets Leonard Skinner piano player. And, and the gospel guys, they're into hip hop and soul, like in their own time. And they'll straight up tell me like, Charlie, like we're not really into all this like country shit or this folk shit. So it's like the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the influences we got going on musically wise, personality wise, background wise is very diverse and that's all on the record. I mean, I rap in one of the songs, you know, and then the first song on the record is like an old kind of a New Orleans barroom song, you know. Hmm. Well, I ain't gonna be the one to do it. You've already put me through it. I ain't gonna be the one to wreck my heart tonight. You can put your lips on mine. I already taste them all the time. I ain't gonna be the one to wreck my heart tonight. Your sweet as moonshine, fall asleep in shoes tied together, soft as porcupine. So I'm, I'm really happy about the diversity. I'm happy as the live guys. It took forever, but that's just that's just the nature of you know bands that are playing out and then trying to release a record during a pandemic, I suppose. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I, I always, it's interesting too, when you're making music, right. As far as, you know, you don't, it's like, you don't want it to be rushed. You want it to be organic and you want it to kind of, you, you, you want it to have a life of its own. At least that's kind of my philosophy on it, because if it, if it doesn't have a life of its own, and if the music isn't being made the way it, the way that it organically should be, then it's like, you're kind of forcing a product, you know? So oh. You know, I totally, I think it's great that you're, you're getting, it's like, you're not only creating music, you're creating these spaces around the music, the energy around the music when you're, when you have a, especially specifically like a live, you know, doing a live takes and things of that nature. Like, yeah, you know, those are experiences. It's like, you never get back if you don't see it, you know, or you don't hear it. So I think, the, I think you got some special stuff there. One of the songs I, I listened to, I think I had it on shuffle or something when I was uh, kind of researching just like your music and everything. Uh, cool. And, and uh, biggest fool came on and yeah. that one really, that one struck a chord with me. I was like, cool. Oh, I like this. <laughs> I that, man. Yeah. That one, uh, that one originally was like really, really folky, you know? And this is kind of what happens with the people that I'm surrounded with is really folky at 120 BPM. And then, it became kind of like a slow, groovy stoner, like OJ song. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it was like 140 or 50 BPM. And then, and this has happened with a few songs on this record. I just so happened to listen to a February. We were working on the, I think we tracked that song in June or July. I just so happened to listen to a February take and we were doing it like 180 BPM almost like a, you know, guilty conscience, 
the the Eminem Dr. Dre song. Yeah. It was like it was real snappy and up tempo and almost had like a hip hop feel to it. And uh that was the first night I brought it to the band. So we have all these other takes of like different tempos and different feels. And at the end, I was like, fellas, we're doing it at 170 or 75 or whatever <laughs> it was. Like, let's put a hip hop R and B feel into it. And then uh and then Larry Hansen, who's just a amazing musician and you know he, he's sort of a musical genius in his own way hmm. uh he just happened to be around in the studio wanting to do some horns so yeah he turned it from a he turned it from a whatever alternative r&b song into sort of a symphony you know Yeah, I I think it's I think that's one of the special things about the the album that I was kind of that I was getting a sense of is where you have a varied a varied uh, variety of sounds that are in each record and they're put in and it's a it's 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 like they're they're put into the they're put into the album and it's one of those things where if like it feels right and like you know what yeah let's just add let's add this let's add this instrument let's add this you know the arrangement is really i think is really interesting you know as far as how how the albums you know put together did did you was it an intent as far as to approach it from that from that kind of perspective as far as you know it's like i didn't even know this this guy would come in and he plays horns on this record and it sounds amazing (laughs) and yes let's do that you know like is that kind of how you usually like to approach music in that regard Man, I try to be democratic, you know, like sometimes I really know exactly what I want, you know, but, but I've learned early on that you're, even though it's your art and it's your words and your chords and whatever, it's like, these people are here because they believe in you and because they have skills that you don't have and they have, they're hearing things in a way that you don't. So like, I try to be democratic about it. And if someone has an idea, we'll try it. Mm -hmm. And if I can't stand it, then, you know, we'll argue over it for a little bit. But like, <laughs> the, the producer was like, he, he was pretty forward about the fact that he was like, man, I know you're a roots musician, but like, that doesn't mean it has to be stripped down. Like we can do a layered lush sort of like kitchen sink production. And so there's like, there's like sitar oh. on biggest fool <laughs> and in the choruses, or maybe it's across the whole thing. And then there's horns and there's like slide kind of like almost like spacey, like meteor noises, you know? So it was like this whole kind of like, I don't know, celestial element to that song, at least like sonically the way I hear it. And uh, I'm not afraid of that stuff, man. I I really like the way it came out. And uh, yeah, I mean, stubborn me 10 years ago may not have gone for it, but Mm. I I trust the producer, Jesse Thompson. I trust my guys. It's also like, how much fun do you want to have? Like, yeah. Part of what you're doing is like creating an environment where people feel free and people feel happy and they feel spontaneous. And 
So like cultivate that and explore that. If you want to mute something later, go for it. But like part of the whole thing is just like, you know, it's like making people want to be there and, and making people want to have fun tracking a record. At the end of the day, it's still like, like music is music is built for like fun and dance and recreation. And like, it, yeah. it, it doesn't need to be like militant or like a, a dictatorship, you know? So when the producer, when the producer wanted to keep overdubbing, yeah, I wasn't going to say no. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, tell me about the, the title of the album too, because it's interesting to me having, you have this, this plethora of, of different sounds, arrangements, styles, and some people put thought into the title of their album. And then there's some people like me where I kind of like do like a Jackson Pollock thing. Like if it's just, I'll just name it. I'll just name it something, you know, and then like the meeting comes later, you know, like I, I like, yeah. I like, I like the name like I like to name songs before I even write them just so it kind of helps me create a picture. Uh, but was there any kind of a meaning or anything behind the, the, the title of the album for you? I'll be honest with you, man. I had like probably 50 or 60 album titles mm. in a list. But once I decided that I wanted the album cover to look like Dr. Dre, the chronic, then I wanted the title to sound like chronic. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I have like 50 names that have nothing to do with that. And then I've got another, you know, 10 or 20 that are like, they're either two syllable or they have the C at the front or whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the comment, the comment was the best one. Nice. And then I was thinking about like biggest fool and tune is pretty. And there's certain songs that have like these celestial elements to them, you know? Yeah. So, so it made sense to me in that way. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome, man. Well, geez, I, I hope, uh, you know, you have some really great songs on there. I, I hope, uh, you know, obviously when things start clearing up that you're able to kind of perform, some of these songs live, you know, do you feel like when you write some of these songs, do you have the, well, I, well, I have to say, I, I, cause my original question was going to be when you write these songs, do you have the attention as far as like how they would sound live compared to how they would sound, you know, being recorded. But since you, you, you guys worked on it live, you guys recorded it live, then obviously there would be that, that sense. Um, yeah, we, I, were, we were playing these songs out for quite a while before they were tracked too, you know? which is some people might say cart before the horse, but I don't know, man, there's something to like, like the bands that I hear that track a record after a year of like playing it out. That shit sounds amazing to me, you know, yeah. or like the flip side of that is like, you'll see a band play out their record. That's a year old and they end up playing it out way better than they ever perform it in the studio. Hmm. So, it felt kind of weird when you're like, Hey, we got a record coming sometime soon. Here's a new song. You know, there'd be time like by the end of the year, a whole set list was new songs and we didn't have a record out yet. But, uh, I think it's much better that way for the studio. Cause it's yeah. just by the end of it, we had like, I remember there was one Saturday or Sunday and we got like half the record done in a day. 
you know what I mean? Just because we had been playing it out and we were sharp and everyone showed up on time and we just, we tracked half the record. Yeah. And yeah, man, like I try to, I try to think of things on the front end. It's like, if you can get a band in that's prepared and somewhat seasoned, you can make records in a weekend, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the fact that it took us two years. Cause it's just, it's just what happened. There was a lot that went into it, but yeah. But this next one I do, yeah, I'm gonna try to do it. I'm gonna try to do it ASAP. The people that, the people that I really like, respect and idolize from like back in the day. It's like these dudes were making hit records in a day or two. You know what I mean? And there's a certain there's a certain art and spontaneity to that. And uh, if if you're lucky enough to keep writing songs, then you almost have to, or else you're just constantly releasing old material. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Well, uh, I definitely uh, I'm looking forward to to pick up a vinyl copy of your album. I hope it'll be available. <laughs> I don't know what the limits are on 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 uh, you know your copies of your record, but or your album. But <laughs> that's a great idea. Right now, I just have. I have CDs on the way, mm. but uh, we've 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 talked a lot about vinyl. I think it would be cool to have it on vinyl. We might like we might do a little like remaster or at least like redo the song order because you only have so much space per side, you know? Right. right yeah. But but uh, but yeah that that's coming. I, I don't know if that'll be this year, but that's coming. Okay. Next thing we got to figure out is. Uh, album release we're we're doing one february 23rd with americana highways but that's like a that's just me or maybe me and one other person like an acoustic thing kind of mm-hmm. and then uh yeah we're 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 getting together our songs for 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 the end of march to do our to do our proper release and uh it might be a live stream i might just release a 45 minute video, you know, from a venue or from a studio or something like that. We haven't decided the way we want to do it yet. Okay. Well, I got to keep an eye on it, man. Cause if the chronic is on vinyl, you got to have the comment on vinyl, man. <laughs> What's do, you, that? do you have the chronic on vinyl? It's on my list. My wife and I are, <laughs> my wife and I are generating a list of like various genres. And I was like, yeah, the chronic in there is part of it. <laughs> It's funny when I made it and I posted it, half the people, cause I asked like, what is this inspired from? And half the people were like, Oh, that's a uh, zigzag. And I was like, God damn it. Like never <laughs> knows I'm a stoner, you know? <laughs> and then I looked it up and actually Dr. Dre got it from zigzag. Oh, wow. He got his chronic art from zigzag. And then, and then I, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I was inspired by him. Great minds think alike. <laughs> and it's got the, uh, it's got the Ouroboros around it, the snake eating its tail. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Charlie Tree, it's been it's been a, a great pleasure, man, having you uh, you know, here on the show. So thank you so much for taking the time and you know, I'm looking forward to your, your album release. Uh, you know, you got some really great records and uh, definitely a talent. So again, man, thank you. Thank you. Man, I appreciate you having me. Uh enjoy that nice weather out there in California yeah <laughs> yeah sometimes you forget you're like you know this is actually okay <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, man. 
That's where I'm moving next. There you go, man. There you go. Hey, uh, you know, obviously music is pretty, you know, obviously it's, you know, Nashville's a power, powerhouse music-wise, but there's some pretty nice stuff here in LA and whatnot, too. So, Is it open up or venues dying out like they are here? Uh, it's kind of the same boat, I think. Uh, definitely, you know, so I think you got all around, you got folks struggling, trying to figure things out or trying to create more of an online presence and figuring things out. You know, it's like, you gotta be a Swiss army knife and figure, you know, try to have a bunch of ideas. So thinks a lot of the same boat, you know, so hopefully things will start opening up soon, but yeah, I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Well, there you have it, folks. This is Jarrell Powell from the 440 Guitar Podcast. We'll jam again soon, and have a good day.